0: Hello, my kind friends, my generous and gentle friends. How are you this week? Are you joyful? Have you rested, taken some deep, grateful breaths? I know I have. It is what I needed. Last week was so cold and so dark, and I was so tired. This week, I am slowly recovering, sluggishly, though. My heart is a bit lighter, and it lightens more and more every day as I nurse myself back to my usual power. Oh, I needed this sleep. I needed this solitude. I needed this home, this shelter especially when it was so cold. Remember that it snowed? I thought that I was changing once more, changing to something cold and icy and blue. No. I want to be warm. I want always to be warm and true. But sometimes we change, and we don't know into what form but it turns out that it was just a brief glimpse into only one path that I might take when the weather turns freezing, which isn't now. The sun is out again. Autumn has returned to reclaim its season for just a little while longer. I am grateful for it. The yellow leaves that were on the trees have fallen to the ground and the trees of my forest are giant spiders against the sky. I too am a spider, I think. Not literally, but I feel as though I am a spider, in that I am always spinning, weaving, working. And if I do not pause to remember my humanity, then I think all this weaving will consume me and leave nothing behind. Thank heavens I stopped in time to pause, to breathe, to rest. I feel a little more myself now, whoever that is. I stretched and I yawned and I looked in my little mirror. I am still me, still autumn for now. As the sunlight trickled in and I could smell the crisp decay of the leaves outside, I thought I'd better consider my cards before I decide what path I ought to take this week. I often ask the cards what message I need to deliver, what purpose I need to serve, something that is external, or last week I dared to ask what my purpose in the world was and I was given the reply I deserved for such unabashed pride. So, fine, I will leave the world alone this week. The world certainly can carry on without me, while I rest and build my strength. And so I asked the cards what it is that I need this week. Do you know what they told me? After I sat down meditated on this question as I shuffled the cards, cut the deck, and flipped the card over. The Magician (sighs) I sighed such a breath of relief, dear friends, because, you see, I love the Magician. I love all those who seek wisdom and seek to share wisdom. I love those who take action on their wisdom and those who believe in the power of words. I love those who, like me, and perhaps foolishly, believe in the power of their own will. I love magic. Of course I love the magician. He represents power, resourcefulness, skill, alchemy, will. He understands his own ability to create the things he believes in. He is confident in his ability to turn the elements into whatever he wills. However, he also understands that he must be clear on what it is that he desires first, lest it come to life before his very eyes. A good reminder. There is power in everything, my friends. There is power in nature, in the air, in the water, in the earth. There is power in the sun and the moon and in every single star. There is power in the raging sea and in a roaring fire. There is power in the entire universe. Bubbling over and roiling and restless. And all this power, remember, all of it is within you too. Easy to hear, hard to understand. The magician understands it, and he reminds us of it. I remembered the power of words. The power of my words to manifest creatures and people and souls and places and things. I wonder what else I can manifest. That is what I need. I need that wonder. Probably we all do. And we will find wonder again. Will we not, my friends? Together yet alone. Apart yet near. We can use our power for great things, can't we? How exciting. Anyway, I have a story for you tonight. A story about someone with a magician's power, even if he did not know it right away. There once was a talented young artist who had a lonely heart. A sculptor he was, and the best in his hometown. He made a humble but decent living, and lived alone in his little studio, despite his great longing for someone to live with him. But we cannot always have that which we desire, can we, friends? He chose to live close to the market so that he could always have first pick of the finest stone brought back from the marble quarry nearby. When he didn't have any commissions for larger works, he would usually pick smaller pieces of stone from which he could carve small little trinkets that he in turn would also sell on market days. This month, however, had been good to him, and he had reaped the benefits from a few larger pieces commissioned from the Senate. He had enough money to rest for a little while, and perhaps to sculpt something for himself for once. Yes, that was what he wanted. A gift to himself. He was lonesome and he was sad, more so lately than usual, and he felt that the one thing that could make him happy was a piece of art dedicated to him, even if it was from himself. In a way, because he thought very highly of his own work and his own art, as we all should he especially wanted a gift from himself. And when he saw the perfect piece of marble waiting for him in the marketplace, taller than he was, and with the most beautiful streaks of grey running through its perfectly luminous white, he knew he had to have it. Decadent, he knew he was being. Impractical, he was well aware he was but he felt as if he had almost fallen in love with it. He knew he had to have it, and never, ever give it away. Once it was in his home, however, he suddenly was unsure of what to do with it. He sat across from the pristine monolith, and he breathed deeply, and he thought of what he wanted most in the world. Well, what do we all want, really? Love. Honest he was to admit it to himself. Foolish he was to not think further on what that meant. All he had in his mind was love. He did not think specifically on what that would mean, and about the consequences of trying to carve out love from stone. How could he? No one had taught him, for not many people know this, but I will tell you now from experience. When you pour your heart and your longing and your desire into something of your own creation, you must be very, very clear-minded and sure of what you are doing, lest your creation come to life along with desires of its own. He took his tools and he began chipping away delicately at the stone. No gentleman was ever more reverent and gentle with a slab of marble. He knew he was carving a woman, but he did not know yet what she looked like. Every little bit he revealed as he chiseled and honed was a surprise to him. Her exceptionally long face, her overly large eyes. Her very strong shoulders, her long and pointed ears, her long and pointed nose, her gentle, puzzled smile. This was no human woman he'd ever seen before. She lived in his heart and his mind, and now she began to live in his studio, too, and he adored her. A story we've heard before, no? A story we've been told already? Not quite. A little different. Stay with me. She was beginning to emerge from the stone. First the top of her head, the tips of her ears, her eyes, her nose, her shoulders. And as she did, he fell more and more in love. He spent as much time as he possibly could in the studio, carving and chiseling and cooing to her and loving her, and she grew more and more beautiful to him the more time he spent with her. He sang to her songs of his childhood, he wept to her sorrows of his adulthood, and he could swear that the more he spoke with her, the more loving and gentle her own face became, too, and full of its own longing, a true reflection of what he felt and what he desired. But it was his imagination he knew. The oppressive weight of his idea of reality whispered doubt into his mind, spoke lies to him, told him that he was wasting his time He could not find love in marble, it said. He could not create love. He didn't have that power. He had no power. The little doubts of false reality can chip away at us, too, and we must learn to stop them from stopping us. But this sculptor, he was in such pain that he did not know how to quiet those vicious little words. Some days he could overcome them, And he kept carving, kept working. Some days they beat him down and he wept to her while he carved, still dedicated even though unsure. And more and more they completely paralyzed him. And he could not work at all. Sometimes he whispered like a lover to her the words, Be real, be real. Please, be real. Other times he would yell it at her from across the room in a stupor of grief and pain. Be real. Be real for me. And sometimes he would clasp her in his arms and weep against her, repeating those two words. Be real. And finally... Those whispers of doubt, that false reality, and the cruel parts of the world plant in our minds, one. And he did stop. He stopped as she had only been revealed from the waist upward. Beautiful, strong, and reaching. For he had made her arms reach forward in a perpetual state of longing for something she would never have. He simply... Stopped. He was gone very frequently, and suddenly when he was home he barely gave her so much as a glance. She had almost disappeared from him entirely. He was even contemplating finishing her quickly and just selling her. And what the stone did not know was that this sudden neglect was due to one simple fact the sculptor had met someone a woman, human, flesh, blood. It was still early, and he had not spent nearly as much time with her as he had his beautiful marble creation. But human flesh and blood seemed so much more appealing. She was warm. She laughed when he laughed. She wept when he wept. And suddenly... He forgot all those hours he had poured into his stone sylph. He forgot how she had quietly borne his laughter and his tears without complaint. He forgot how she had never stopped reaching for him. He forgot. For days. Weeks. Months. He forgot about her. And one day, our sculptor decided to ask his lady of flesh and blood to take his hand in marriage. She would come to his home that evening. They would have a drink in the parlor. They would dine in the courtyard. They would dance under the moonlight. And then, when everything was just perfect, he would ask her to share his life with him. He did love her, his flesh-and-blood human bride. But do not mistake this kind of love for connection. She might as well have been made of marble to him, too, for he only loved an idea of her that he had, the idea that he wouldn't be alone anymore, the idea that she would fill his empty life with some kind of comfort. It was a foolish thing, but to someone who has never really known connection with another... Love can be hard to understand. He prepared a dinner. He dressed in his finest clothes. He made his home spotless. Except there was that strange half-finished statue reaching towards him, her eyes on him and unwavering. Had they always been so sad? Had her reach always been that long? She was so strange, so sad, almost obscene in her longing. He suddenly detested how terrible it made him feel, for it was created only through his own longing and desperation. It was a perfect reflection of who he was before he had met his human lady. And he had hated that person. He never wanted to feel like that again. So he took a white sheet and he draped it over her, and he pushed her into a corner of the room where the half finished thing would be unnoticeable. A pit sat in his heart suddenly. It was something akin to guilt, though he knew it was completely unfounded. He continued to make ready for his big night. The lady came later that evening, and she was welcomed warmly into the sculptor's studio. He poured her a glass of wine, and while sitting very close together on a nearby couch, he made a toast to her. To you, who has made my life so much more rich simply by being alive, he said with a smile, and they kissed. And as they did, the two of them heard a strange, distant, muffled sound. It was something like a little sob, a gasp, a breath, a sigh. The lady asked the gentleman what the sound was, and the truth was that he did not know, and so they forgot about it. They chatted and laughed and gossiped together until it was time to take supper outside in the courtyard. Over more wine, they continued to speak of nothing very important, and ate a very fine meal he had prepared. "'What a lovely evening,' the lady said with a light heart and easy smile. "'You are fine company for having spent most of your time with stone and chisel.' The man laughed in a way that was much more confident than he felt." At such an observation, his laughter rang out through the silent night air of the courtyard. And then they heard a sound again. Though further away, it was much louder. It was a painful, plaintive sound. A sigh again. What is that? The woman of flesh and blood asked once more, very much frightened this time, and the sculptor's eyes were no less frightened, though his voice casually replied, I have no idea. It was soon forgotten, as wine and good cheer filled their hearts again. They danced together under the stars, the crickets singing a symphony to them. They were barely more than strangers, even though they had known each other for many days and nights now. But they clung together anyway, for life is long when you are alone. Laughter, dance, and cheer soon turned to slowly swaying, their bellies full and their hearts placated, the sculptor and his human, his real human, who had found him and come into his life willingly and shared her time with him. She was good. He knew that she was good. He also began to understand that he was expecting her to make his life better. He was placing all of his hopes and desires and dependence on her. He knew that it was unfair. He knew it would end in disaster. He was not unwise, but he was in pain. And pain makes us resort to selfishness often. He knew this was not right, but he didn't want to be alone, and so he would propose to her. He had the ring in his pocket, but his hand felt heavy as lead as it searched for it. Why did he feel guilty? Why did he feel he was making a terrible mistake? Why did he feel as though he had forgotten something? he went to his knees. He ignored the sound that came again. His would-be bride was distracted and frightened by it, but fear was soon replaced with surprise as she saw the man before her. He pulled out the tiny box from his pocket. The sound came again. Closer this time. The lady trembled. He tried to ignore both of these things as he, undeterred, would achieve the goal he'd set for himself this evening. He began to ask his very important question, and the woman's gaze moved from the little box to behind the sculptor. Just where the entrance to his home was, and she let out a horrible, horrified scream. There she was, draped in a sheet, the woman of marble. Though her legs were unfinished and still trapped in a great cluster of rock, she had somehow found her way out here. And she wept. Her arms reached She reached even further. She tried desperately to reach him. She reached so far that she toppled over onto the ground. The sculptor cried out as the marble below her waist cracked and crumbled and shattered. He cried out and feared that she was broken forever. But there she was. She had been in the stone all along. Two legs, long, strong, and as translucent as the rest of her, so much so that she seemed to glow in the moonlight, streaked with gray lines that some would call imperfect, others would call beautiful. Still sobbing and sighing, she slowly pulled herself to her feet, her body strong but unsure of its movements. She slowly began to lumber over towards the living man and lady. The ground shook with each of her steps. She sighed with every step and kept reaching towards him. He realized just how much he had underestimated the power of his art, of his talent, or was it that he had underestimated the power of this gorgeous rock that had been brought up from the earth? A magician with the power to make his dreams a reality is a dangerous thing if he does not believe in his own gift. And so he had created a dangerous thing. A beautiful thing. The woman at his side, the woman of flesh and blood, screamed again, In shock, she yelled for him to kill it, to destroy it, to call for help, anything. But he did not. He was transfixed. And he knew that he was wrong to have abandoned her. His stone nymph. His creation that he had meant to be a gift to himself, but had instead cursed to a life of loneliness just like the one he had before. He had poured his pain into her, and she couldn't take it. Kill it! The woman of flesh and bone cried again as the marble creature now stood only feet from them. The statue's hands lowered to her sides, and her chest rose and fell with new breath. Her eyes blinked, though they had no color to them, those overly large eyes, full of sorrow and betrayal and keen intelligence. She opened her mouth as if she would speak, but she could not move her stone self fast enough to form words. She could only sigh. She could only weep. How beautiful she was more beautiful than anything he had ever seen. Kill it. It isn't human. The woman at his side cried again. He didn't even turn to look at her when he said softly, Leave us. And she did. She ran. Far, far away. And the human lady never saw him again. Meanwhile, he stood in the courtyard across from the marble creature. He reached out and touched her hand, her fingers very, very slowly twined into his. Her white eyes, empty yet full all at once, slowly closed shut, as she sighed now not from pain this time, but from relief. He wanted to tell her how sorry he was. He wanted to tell her that he had somehow convinced himself not to believe in her, even though he had made her. He wanted to tell her that it was so difficult to let himself love something that was only real to him. He wanted to weep and thank her for being so true and so kind, even after he had so carelessly brought her to life and abandoned her. But he was too full of joy to speak in sorries. His hands went to her face, smooth and most certainly glowing in the moonlight now. Her own hands slowly found his face, too, and marveled at the softness of his skin. She slowly, carefully found herself able to utter one phrase in a soft and shaking voice. I am real. I am real. I am... He interrupted her with a kiss so electric that even the stars took notice. There are details necessary to this epilogue, but not interesting to me, and so I will say them quickly. They could not remain in town after what the human woman saw, and they did not want to remain in town. The Lady of Marble deserved to see something as beautiful as her, and so he sold everything he owned and took her to the seaside, where they lived away from everything else from everyone else. Because he felt deep guilt, even still, at his folly of creating something purely for his own selfish heart. So he changed the story, our Pygmalion. Rather than have her live for him, he decided to live for her and in selflessly beginning to live his life with the goal of making even just one other person happy, he found happiness too. Life is long when you are alone. But life is good, so why should it not be long? His grave is by the sea, even still. It is easy to find. Because it is marked by the presence of a gorgeous statue made of marble who kneels by the burial mound, her eyes open and fixed on the sea, her hands clasped, and her smile joyful. She is only a statue now, I think. Perhaps she is only sleeping. Be clear on what you want before you manifest it. You have more power than you think. Know that and believe it. Now we too must sleep, my friends. May you dream of what you long for so that you may in turn create it. Good night, my friends. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to episode 119 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen Zaza, your host, writer, podcaster, creator, etc. I have to say that last week I wasn't quite sure what the world was going to be like when I released Not Mother, and I'm very happy that we are in the world we are in now, this week. Many of us are breathing a little easier and have lighter shoulders, I think. Now down to business. Support for On a Dark Cold Night is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And hello, fellow Canadians, Manscaped just launched in Canada, so listen up, I'm going to tell you about some of their life-changing products. Friends, there shouldn't be anything scary or eerie about tending to your personal garden, as it were. Manscaped agrees, and that is why they have redesigned the electric trimmer and perfected it in the form of the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. It has a third-generation trimmer featuring a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce the possibility of grooming accidents. It's a premium device with a battery that lasts up to 90 minutes, so you can take your time, friends. Calm down, take a breather, shave with ease and comfort. It's waterproof, so you can take it in the shower. It has an LED light, so you can really see what you're doing down there. It has an upgraded 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology, so feel free to use it on a dark, cold night and avoid waking up anyone else in the household. Or use it by day, you know, don't let me tell you what to do when. It also has a USB-powered charging stand, so you can make sure it's always ready to use. Now, you can hear me talk about this fine product, or you can try it for yourself for 20% off plus free shipping by using the code GOODNIGHT, all one word, at manscaped.com. Maybe you're in the market for a trimmer for yourself, or you want to buy the perfect gift for someone special in your life, check this one out. Again, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code GOODNIGHT. Give you our loved ones nether regions a lovely gift this holiday season. Moving on to some weekly thank yous, I would like to first thank Lana Campbell, who donated some metaphorical coffee to the show this week through coffee.com and left a really kind note. Thank you so much, Lana, for listening and for supporting me and my work. If you'd like to support the show in a similar way, you can also donate at ko-fi.com darkcoldnight. If you want to support the show on a monthly basis and receive access to my constantly updated soundtrack, you can support the show through Patreon, too, at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. Thank you to my amazing patrons there and my coffee supporters. Your help is so very appreciated, and I'm very, very grateful. Next up, I would like to thank Ramon Starboard, an Apple listener from the U.S. who left us a very kind five-star review on iTunes. Thank you so much for sharing your support, Ramon Starboard. If you're enjoying the show and want to share some words about it, please feel free to leave a review through iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, or anywhere else you like. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, and on my Facebook and YouTube pages, both called On A Dark Cold Night. Thank you so much for listening this week. I'm always very grateful, and I am grateful again this week. Thank you. Be well, my friends, and talk to you soon. Good night.